Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to everyonehatesmarketers.com, the digital marketing podcast for tech marketers who are sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. Have you heard of Oli Gardner? No, okay. He's the co-founder of Unbounce and a pretty good marketing bullshit fighter. And if you haven't heard him talk before, I'm actually interviewing him live on Facebook on Tuesday, the 31st of October, 2017. Uh, if you want more details about this event, you can go to everyonehatesmarketers.com forward slash Oli. That's everyonehatesmarketers.com forward slash Oli. Right. In this episode, I want to ask you a question first and foremost. Have you heard of the jobs to be done methodology before? Well, if you haven't, HubSpot have been telling us that to understand customers, you need to create personas. Well, that's actually not true. There is a better way to understand customers and to read their mind. And companies like Intercom or Basecamp are using it. So in this episode, you're going to have a crash course on jobs to be done and how to use it to read your customer's mind. My guest is Claire Sulantrop. She's a SaaS messaging and conversion expert at loveyourcustomers.co. She's the author of Websites That Convert, The Fundamentals of Writing Company Website Copy, which is a great book uh, that I recommend. And she used to be the director of marketing for Calendly. Uh, so she knows her stuff. And in this episode, you're going to learn so what is the jobs to be done methodology and what it isn't, how to use it in conjunction with personal analysis to understand customers, and as usual, a step-by-step methodology to implement it in your business today or tomorrow. So have a listen and let me know what you think. So Claire, uh, thanks so much for your time and for being on this show. Before we, we start talking about who you are and what you do and, and where you're, you're coming from, I think marketers struggle from a big, big issue. They struggle to understand customers, right? So they, understand, mm -hmm. they struggle to understand people. They struggle to understand what those people really want, what they really need, the key issues they have. And that's a big problem for them, right? Now, it seems like that's led by HubSpot that, you know, doing persona analysis and understanding people by doing persona is the way to go, right? I've been reading about it for a long time. And it seems like a lot of marketers now understand that, yeah, they need to do persona. But we're going to talk about the fact that it's not actually necessarily the right way, right? There's a better way to do this. Exactly. And, and I also, I mean, as you've, as you've introduced here, I don't think it's so much that marketers don't care about understanding who their customers are. Because we know, first of all, If you if you're trying to sell something, you need to really understand what the what your target audience's desires are. I I don't think it comes from a place of not caring, but a, a place of a not having not knowing how to do anything better, and b being under so much pressure to move so quickly from you know leadership team from you know the the business's growth goals, everything like that. Um, and we can dive further into that as as we go. Yeah, but that that's that's true. So there are pressures to. To, to reach the, the next quarter targets, there are pressures from manager to like from management to, to reach those targets. What what type of other pressures do do marketers suffer with at the minute? I I think those really are the two main ones. And what's funny is like I myself like so I am no longer working in house with a company. I, I now as as you know am on the consulting side. 
but even myself with my own marketing, I will, um, you know, I'll be working on my own project, whether it's making my email, like, uh, campaigns more personal, um, whatever it may be. And I will find myself being like, I just have to get this done. I don't have time to give it the energy it needs because I have to take care of this client and this client. And I need to get all these things done by today, by, you know, end of the week. Um, and so part of it is also internal. It just, so many of us, many of us in this role are driven to be, we want to be really good at what we do. We want to be ambitious. Um, and, and so it's both, I think an external and an internal pressure, (laughs) uh, that makes slowing down to really understand who your customers are a bit more difficult than it sounds. Yeah, I agree. So one of the things we discussed before going on this podcast and, and, and trying to figure out the subject is that, yes, so people struggle to understand customers. And the, the usual solution is to, to do those personal analysis with, you know, uh, this is the typical age of my customer. This is what mm-hmm. they do. This is where they live. This is their hobbies and, and all this kind of stuff. And in this episode, we are actually going to go through the fact that it's not necessarily the best solution and there might be something else that we can do that is actually much better. Exactly. Before diving into that, let's do a little bit of a teaser and go back to you a little bit more. As you started to mention, you used to be the director of marketing for Calendly, uh, Mm -hmm. which is a tool I use all the time to schedule calls uh, and appointments with people. It's a great way to, to avoid the back and forth of saying, Hey, are you free at 9 a.m.? No, I'm not, but 9.30 is better. So that's a great tool for that. And you left recently to go on your own. And now you mm-hmm. are a, uh, you know, you work with SaaS business in particular on their messaging and, and conversion, right? Correct. You nailed it. <laughs> um, there's one good thing. So I've discovered you through Product Hunt. You, 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 uh, you launched a book there that I read, which is called Websites That Convert, The Fundamentals of Writing Compelling Website Copy. And mm-hmm. I'm not trying to like, advertise it just because you're a guest or, or anything like this, but it's because it's a really good book. So I would recommend anybody to read it. And your website is loveyourcustomers.co. It's not .com, it's .co, C-O. Correct. There's one thing I want to, 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 to say to listeners is to actually go on the website and sign up to the emails and see how Claire manages to, to segment her list by asking questions and making people click on certain links. It's actually quite clever. I've never seen it really done that way before. So just out of curiosity, you should check it out. Um, so well done on that. I appreciate that. And it's, it's, it means a lot to hear that come from someone else because you know this and we all know this. When you look at your own work that's from a month ago or a year ago or two years ago, you're just like, oh, that's shit. Like, I could do this so much better now. So even those emails, like I want to make better. I want to make more personal. I want to make more relevant. But the fact that yeah, that you have read them and, and felt that they were valuable and interesting. That really means a lot. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> and, and I mean it. And, and if it was shit, I wouldn't have mentioned them. So. <laughs> right. Um, right. So what made you quit Calendly and go on your own then? Oh, that's a big question. Um, so first, I even now have to say how much I, like I, I love Calendly. I love the company. I love the product. Um, I really believe so. I, I still believe so much that it's something that like genuinely makes a ton of people's lives easier so they can focus on things that they enjoy doing, uh, instead of emailing each other back and forth. But as the team was growing, it became apparent that I was going to have to do one of two things. I was a going to, as, as director of marketing, you know, I, I was also, in addition to being director of marketing, I was also the number two employee. And so in those very early days, there is no just director of marketing or just director of sales. Like you're just, 
you're, you're one, you're one of two or three people who are just doing everything that they have to get done. And so it was very much a, you know, wear many hats, do all kinds of different jobs type of role. And I loved that. And, and the reason I loved it was because, you know, when, when you, when you come in to a company that's more established, you have a, a slightly more defined role and you might work only on Facebook ads, or you might only work on copy. You might work only on strategy, whatever it may be. But being at the company so early allowed me to really understand, like I, we were, we were, our team was so small at the time that I had to both watch how people were coming into the app and figure out how do we bring in more of these people, but also what happens once they've signed up and what is their experience like after that? What are their pains that are, or, or what's, what's confusing them that's preventing them from upgrading? Um, and how do we help them get past those things and how do we teach them how to use this product correctly so that they can, they can experience how much easier it makes their lives. Um, and not a lot of, not a lot of people, not a lot of marketers get to focus on both the pre sign up stage and the post sign up stage. And I loved being on both sides because it felt more holistic. It felt more like I was taking care of this, this, this customer that we had versus like, okay, we just have to get people in the door. And as the team grew it, uh, you know, of course, with growth, you, you need people to become specialists at, diff at different things. Um, that's how you, that's how you scale marketing efforts. And so I, I, I sat back and I realized, okay, I either, I will need to become a manager of a large team of specialists, which will put me a little further away from those customers that I, I love, you know, being really close to, um, or I will need to figure out something else. <laughs> and so I knew that I wasn't at that time, I, I really wasn't interested in moving up to become a manager internally at a company that was getting larger. I was much more interested in helping, you know, in, in helping companies have that, like that, like one-on-one -on -one view with their customers and helping them see their own product through their customers' eyes, especially because, and we can talk about this, but especially because I'm sure, I mean, you're with Hotjar, you like you work in SaaS, you know, so many people launch a product because they, they see that they can change people's lives for the better, but be, because they have to they have to, you know, focus on growing the business. They kind of lose that view of their customers. They, they forget, they forget what's going on on the other side. And so I left and, and went the consulting route because I, I see that's so valuable. And I see that a lot of companies, even big ones with large research teams, don't always know how to stay, like stay aligned with what their customers are thinking and feeling. And I can dive into that, but I feel like I've already rambled enough <laughs> at this point. <laughs> how are you getting your clients? How did you get the first two or three? So it was a, my, my leaving was a gradual process. I went full consulting in January and the CEO of Calendly, whose name is Tope, he and I sat down actually in Q4 and I explained this exact thing. And I was like, look, this is what I care about. This is what Calendly needs. I think we both can see that they don't quite align. And I left the company on, on really great terms, still on good terms with the team there. And because of that, I could, I had the end of the year, like I had the last few months to kind of get myself together. And so I started working on, you know, having a website that showed, you know, that I, that I consult now. And I started honestly reach, I, I started cold outreach because it's the fastest thing I could do. But two other things that I did that were really, really helpful were, I'll start with one, but one other thing I did that was really, really helpful was actually get on the phone with folks who had been consulting or freelancing for a while, also in SaaS, to just learn from them and to, and to ask like, okay, when you left your in-house job, where did you start? Like what, 
how did you position yourself? What didn't go well? What did go well? And, and so I learned a lot from those folks, but I also got on their radar as someone they could hire to help with their marketing. And so, um, just by, just by letting people know over time, not only that I was going in the consulting route, but that I wanted to learn from them. Um, I kind of, I established a number of really good relationships with other people in SAS. Um, and I'm trying to think of a good example. So what's a good one? Um, a friend of mine, he, he isn't himself the, uh, owner of a SaaS company. He owns a couple of small businesses. Um, one, he's a consultant and two, um, he runs a, he actually runs a firm that writes case studies for like for SaaS companies and agencies. And, and he and I got on the phone, you know, early in my, in my switching to from, from in-house to consulting time. And I explained to him, like, I love SaaS and I love like what, you know, SaaS marketing entails, um, but I'm not interested in doing this in-house anymore. How did you get started? And what that led to was both, a, you know, a conversation with him about how he, you know, made the move to consulting. And then also about a month later, an email from him that said, Hey, would you want to team up on some client marketing projects with me? Um, and that wasn't the only time that happened. So I got a, just from letting people know what I was doing and what I was interested in, I, I was able to like form some partnerships with, with a few folks and that has just snowballed from there. So um, I want to, I want to come up with like some actionable takeaways, but the, the easiest, the easiest way to say it is simply like, I let my network know what I was doing. Um, and I positioned myself as someone who wanted to learn from people and not as a hard salesman, like, Hey, please hire me. <laughs> and that approach actually ended up working really well and has just kind of grown over time. But that's a that's a very good tip. I mean, it, it sounds obvious to you, but it, I think it's important for for listeners to to have that in mind. Is that as soon as you put your journalist kind of hat on and don't try to be right. a hardcore salesperson and and want to be learning, I, I think people you know trust you more and are more likely than to to help you uh, as well. I found many many people like freelancers or consultants starting on their own try to like get into this kind of cocoon. And are kind of scared to reach out to people, and and so it's a great tip. I've, I haven't heard this way of doing or finding new clients yet. So you see, it's 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 quite it's quite original. Um, so thanks for sharing that. Now, yeah, let's absolutely. Go back to let's go back to a subject that I think we both uh, love to talk about: the marketing bullshit. So <laughs> why why do you think marketers have this reputation uh, in general, the bad reputation? So you and I would probably both roll our eyes at the term growth hacker, <laughs> as I'm sure many of the, of the folks listening would. And I tend to be a rambling person. So I, I want to give this some thought before I just make, you know, just run my mouth. Um, but I have seen, and I'm sure you have too, I've seen two approaches to marketing. There's the approach that is only numbers focused where it's okay. We have to hit this level. Like we have to have, th we have to hit this number of signups, we have to increase conversion rates by this. We have to get, you know, this many people in like in the product and paying for it by this time next quarter. And those are important from a business perspective. Um, otherwise, like, you know, your company's going to go out of business. These aren't charities that we're, we're not doing this because we're not doing this as volunteers. We're doing this because there's, there's a, a, there's monetary growth at stake. But at the same time, when, I'll use the word you just used, which is cocoon. When you as a marketer get so wrapped up in the cocoon of the numbers that you're trying to hit, you kind of forget that 
the people that you're selling to are just that they're people that got up this morning and, you know, were out with, you know, maybe they were, they were up late taking care of their kid last night and they're exhausted or they were out late with friends last night and they're exhausted. And now they're at work and they're on their, their fifth cup of coffee and they have their own problems they're dealing with. And they, you know, are looking forward to leaving work because they want to go see this new movie or go, you know, see their kid's baseball game. Like if you, if you as a marketer ignore or get so focused on the numbers that you forget that your product is just a little part of someone's day, then you can fall into that trap of being very growth hacky where it's all about, um, what, you know, what are the, like, what ways can we kind of trick people into saying yes to our marketing? Um, I was actually working with a client yesterday who's very, very, like they're, they're, I tend to work with, with SaaS companies who are a bit more mature, but this one is on the, on the younger side. And so for them, um, just like getting the first round of signups right now is, is what matters. And the, the head of the company in-house was like, so if we have people sign up for this, this newsletter, should we also then say like, Hey, you can jump the line to get our product earlier. If you like, if you like tweet this thing, um, you know, and we were having a discussion about what, what are the ethics and, and what does it feel like for a user to be asked to jump through all these hoops? And ultimately I was like, Hey, put yourself in that person's shoes. <laughs> How annoying would it be if you had signed up to get access to something? And then you were told, well, before you can have access, you have to go do all these other things for us. Like picture that in your day. And he was like, you know, from, and he comes from a UX background. He was like, from a user experience standpoint, that actually feels pretty shitty. <laughs> um, and, and it's just, I don't, I haven't met anyone who is inherently a bad person who focuses too much on, on, you know, more scammy feeling tactics or, or those tactics that people hate. Um, so much as I've met people who kind of forget that you have to put yourself in that end user's shoes. And so to me, that's where it stems from. It just stems from too much internal focus and not enough of that connection to who your customers are and what their lives look like, which honestly brings us back to the beginning of the episode. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's a, it, it, that's a, all of what you said is, is true. And I agree with it. It's difficult sometimes to, to remember that people are people and that they're not just numbers. Um, and, Especially and, when you're in, when you can't see them, right? Like when yeah. you are in your office, like you can't, anyway, go ahead. No, 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 but that's true. Especially as a digital marketer, where we look at, at Google Analytics all day, it, it, it is difficult to, to get empathy, to understand that those, those numbers are actually people. And uh, as you mentioned, there are usually two approach, like, you know, the number driven approach and then the empathy driven kind of approach. And I think, mm -hmm. I think both are part of the same thing. It's just right. a matter of making sure that you use numbers in the right way and, and uh, empathy in, the, uh, in, in another way. So let's drill into the problem kind of we've, we've identified at the start of this episode, which is as a marketer, I struggle to understand customers. Not that I don't care about people, but the fact that it's just difficult to get, you know, to, to get into the, almost to read their minds. It's very difficult to read their minds. And therefore... Right. I've been I've been told a few times, and I've read on the HubSpot blog, and I've uh, I've I've listened to a lot of people saying the same thing. I need to create personas. <laughs> I think both you and I agree that it's not necessarily the best way to go about it. And the the approach that you would recommend instead of it, or at least as a complement of the persona kind of driven approach, is called it's called jobs to be done. Right. Right. So. <laughs> What's the kind of uh, the overall 
pitch, I would say, like why should people try to use this method instead of the traditional persona-driven marketing? So I'll answer that actually with an example. And I, uh, so back in June, I, I spoke at um, Unbounce's call to action conference about this exact topic. And maybe I, I can send you that link and we can add it to like show notes um, so people yep. can watch the presentation. But so let's, let's, you know, think about a persona for a second. A persona is someone's, um, they're a fake name, right? So it's like, you know, marketing Melanie or HR Sally or whatever. Um, there's always mark- a Sally always. There's always a Sally. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's say, let's say Sally and H- like HR Sally, she has a Honda and she has two kids and she lives in the suburbs and she's middle age. Um, and she loves like, I don't know, what does she do in her free time? She loves tennis um, so, so we have all these, oh, and she loves dogs there. Okay. So I made a persona. She works in HR, but those are, and, and now we know all of those other things about the rest of her life. That's cool. That seems like a good, that seems like we've kind of brought to life who this person is outside of her job title, but having all that information can like, let can we answer, do we have any idea why she bought, um, why she bought like a certain brand of purse? Or why she bought a certain brand of wine. Like, do we have any idea based on those characteristics, the fact that she drives a Honda and that she plays tennis, why she made those decisions to purchase something? No. The answer is not really, right? Like, like we've got, we've got surface information on her, but none of that surface information tells us anything about why Sally chooses to take out her credit card and make a purchase. And that as marketers, if we're, if we're relying on those types of personas, then we have we have no idea what's motivating people to buy our stuff. <laughs> um, and so jobs to be done is a theory that helps correct that. So it's a theory and it's a, it's a way of creating, you know, profiles or personas or whatever you want to call it about your customers that are focused much more on that motivation as opposed to just like random details about their lives. So one that I, I used in this, in this talk that I just gave was a story of, of my friend, Alan. Okay. My friend, Alan recently bought, a drill for his house. Like the kind that you use to like, like hang pictures on the wall and things like that. What's interesting is that Alan, he and I were talking about this and he didn't buy the drill for, for any of, any of those reasons. He didn't buy the drill because of his job title. He didn't buy the drill because of the kind of car he drives. Um, he didn't buy it because of like the city he lives in or the state he lives in. He actually bought the drill because he and his wife had just moved into a new home and, uh, he had previously been completing all these house projects using his father-in-law's drill. But every time he needed to borrow his father-in-law's drill, he had to go through this pain in the ass situation. He had to call his father-in-law, see if he was home. If he wasn't home, then he had to call him back later. He had to drive to go get the drill. He had to come back, use the drill, and then he had to do it all over again, right? Every time he wanted to use the drill. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, I don't know what led you to sign up for Calendly, but, but the pain you were feeling previously was that you had to send five emails every time you wanted to get a meeting scheduled or a podcast interview scheduled, right? So, so jobs to be done is about figuring out what that pain is that makes someone go, okay, like screw this. I have to go find something better. Um, so it's that, it was that motive. It's that, that pain that motivated Alan to go buy a drill for himself. And that struggle, that's, that's the job. 
And it's done, so to speak, when hopefully your product, but anything really, when that job or struggle is solved and the person can like go on with their lives in a better way. So Calendly solved your struggle of having to waste time sending emails. And now you are free to go do other things. Anyway, I, I want to actually, I do want to send you the slides to this presentation because it may make this easier to kind of understand. Mm -hmm. Um, because as I ramble on about it, I'm like, I don't know if I'm really making this clear. Um, but that's what jobs to be done is, is all about. And it's, it's so much more useful to us as marketers because then when we're creating an ad campaign, for example, if we want to speak to the Allens of the world, um, then we can target people who are very likely going to be feeling those same struggles and have that same job. So we can target people who maybe recently moved to a new place. This, this comes down to all kinds of technicalities, like can you track their previous purchases and things like that. But if you sell drills and you have a mailing list full of people and you can see what they have and haven't purchased, then you can actually look and see, okay, who's moved to a new place recently but hasn't bought a drill in, you know, five years. Essentially, you can start to, tr you can start to figure out, like, where are the people that are going to have that same struggle and how do we go find them and put our product in their life at the time that they need it instead of just blasting them with ads that are not relevant um, or using copy that doesn't speak to them, um, and really like all along down the funnel. <laughs> like the, the best indicator of knowing whether or not somebody is going to buy something is by looking at past behaviors of people right. looking like him. Like it's incredibly difficult. And also, uh, it could be very tricky to get by just asking questions to understand what people are planning to do. People are very bad at telling you what they're planning to do in the future. Terrible, terrible. Well, they're yeah. very good at telling you what they've done in the past and why they've done it, right? Uh, even though you might need to drill into the exact why, but it's a little bit easier to get into the past behavior. Um, so that's a very good introduction. And yeah, we will add uh, your slides to the show notes, uh, of course. Now, for listeners, they understand, I think, now the difference, the fact that you can use job to be done as a much more powerful way to understand you know why people are buying and why they're not and how you can make sure that they do now let's try to get into a step-by-step -step, not into a very extremely you know in-depth step-by-step but perhaps as an introduction to it could we go through a step-by-step -step, you know of a company that has literally never done this exercise before um, mm -hmm, probably right. in tech right as a SaaS business and how would you advise them to go about it so step one what do you do Right. So a, a great example of this is actually, um, I, I worked with uh, the video hosting company Wistia to train one of their internal team members on how to kind of create these jobs to be done, like profiles on their customers and how to, how to do the research to figure out what those pains were or what those jobs were. Um, so what we did, the first thing we did was looked at who are the customers that we want to better understand? Um, because if you work at any SaaS company, um, you probably have a very wide array of, of people that, that buy your product. Um, you know, maybe for something like Hotjar, they have similar job titles, but their industries are different and their price points are different. And, and so the first thing you want to do is figure out like, who exactly is it that we're trying to reach better? Are we going after a new market? Are we going after a, a you know, a higher paying clients? Um, and you want to actually find people in, in your product who have already been really successful and are already paying you who are a part of that segment. Cause what you're going to look for in the future in, after we get through this are people like those people. So, so you want to find the people who are already super happy, um, with what you do. And you actually want to get on the phone with about 
10 at least of those people. Right. So step uh, one, sorry to cut you, but step one. Yeah, 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 go ahead. Step one, try to to agree on the typical kind of power users that you have. People who are happy that right. they're using your product for a while and make a kind of a detailed profile of those people, right? So that's step one. Exactly, right. That, that's step two. So then step two is actually reaching out to those people and, and saying, um, you know, hey, we're, we're looking to better understand how people like you use our product and, and why, and, and, and we would love to connect with you for 20 minutes. Um, and this is a tricky part because of two reasons. You got to reach out to a lot of people um, because it's simple math that not everyone is going to be interested. Not everyone's going to have time. Um, and two, marketers and not just marketers, but really many, many people are terrified of getting on the phone and interviewing someone. Um, you know, you and I are at an advantage. You run a podcast. I come from a journalism background and a radio background. And so interviewing is not as scary. Um, but even when I started doing this, it was so scary to get on the phone with a customer and, and ask them these questions about their life and, and how they use our product. Um, so step two is, is actual outreach. Um, and since you'll have access to those slides, on the last slide, um, there's a link where you can just download the email template that I use um, when I'm inviting customers to get on the phone. So for those who are listening like that, you can just use the one that I use instead of having to create a new one. So that's step two. And, and you want to, you want to keep reaching out to customers until you've gotten at least 10 to 15 people on the phone. Because if you talk to 10 or 15 people in one segment, you'll find about 80% of the information you need, um, to start finding patterns in like the, in the pains and what motivated them to sign up for things. So that's your number there. I um, want to make a note here. Mm -hmm. It's there might there might be time in your organization where you feel like you don't have enough data that there is never enough data that you need to talk to more people that you need to send more surveys or that you need to make you know more things before making a decision and start doing stuff so be careful of that exactly as you said mm -hmm. if you're if you have 80% of the data it's going to then just take run you, with it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to take you an infinite amount of time to get to the 20% because you're never going to get the, the full, full picture. You're always going to have to say, well, I trust the data we have now to do the job, you know, as, as, as well as possible. And let's learn from what we're doing instead of just overanalyzing as well. That's just what I wanted to say. Exactly. And I'm glad that you did mention that. And the number, you know, this is a this this is a time intensive process. Getting on the phone with people takes time, and analyzing those conversations later takes time. So it may be something that you and another team member do together. Um, it may be something that you bring someone in to do for you, which is why I have work <laughs> um, because people internally are busy. So so that's step two, right? Is is sending out those invitations, and step three is actually actually getting on the phone with customers and having a 20 to 30 minute call. Now this gets tricky because it's easy to ask the wrong types of questions. It's, it's really easy to ask people for their opinion. Um, an opinion, as you mentioned earlier, Louis, like we as humans are not very good at predicting what we'll do. And we're not very good at understanding what really motivated us to buy something. So like you could ask, you could ask Alan, my friend, um, why did you buy this drill? And, and he might not really think to say, well, it's because borrowing my father-in-law's drill was a huge pain. He, you know, he may just say something simple that's, that's on the box, you know, like, well, I liked that it had like this many speeds or I liked that it was, 
you know, this, like, I, I like that it was this design. Um, but, but it's really unlikely that he'll be able to just spontaneously give you the, his motivation. So you, you need to ask the right questions. Um, and thankfully in the slides, in that link, um, you can just have my questions. I, it's fine. <laughs> so but name, name, so for people who are not going to bother looking at the slides, right. what's, some, uh, what are the key ones. questions would you recommend? So, I'll give a small handful. Um, so the ones that you want to avoid are anything like, are anything like why? So why did you choose to make this purchase? Um, if I was asking Alan, for example, why did he choose to buy this drill? He could very easily give me some, some incorrect information. Um, so you want to avoid why, um, and you want to avoid questions about the future. Like, Hey, we're thinking of creating this new feature. Would you use it? Um, because like you said, people are just, humans are just really bad <laughs> at being able to predict their own behaviors. Um, so avoid those and look for, instead, ask questions about the what. So, so my favorite one that I start, I don't start interviews with this, but I ask every single, I ask this on every interview is before, and you work for, like, well, let's see, let's, what's a good, we can use Wistia because I was working with them. We can say we could get on the phone and say, okay, so tell me about your life before Wistia. What did it look like? What was happening? Um, and then you have this person talking about events in their life and things that were going on. Not just, not just what they were, not just what they think they, they made a purchase for. Um, and you can guide the conversation from there. So you can start with what was happening in your life before our product. And what was that like? What was good about it? What was bad about it? what event, what, what happened, what finally took place that made you think, you know what, we need to go find something else. You know, was it an internal conversation with a team member? Was it something that, you know, were you experiencing frustration with the last way you were doing things? You're, you're almost looking to really like film a documentary of what this person was going through, um, leading up to purchasing your product. So what are the ones that I've stated? Let's recap those. What was happening in your life before our product? What was that like? Um, what happened that finally made you say, we need to find something else. Uh, and then after that, what did you do? Like, how did you start looking for other things? Were you Googling for them? Were you asking friends? Um, did you just pick something you had already heard of previously? Like what, what led you to us? Um, and notice that pretty much, pretty much everything I'm saying here starts with what. So then once you found out about us, what made you confident that this was the right solution for you? Like what, what did you notice? Um, and this could go on and on and on, but for those who are interested in getting further ones, again, you can have my whole list. It's a lot easier <laughs> to read. And I like to come back to, to the, to the step two. So there's one thing that, that marketers are struggling with is to get buy-in from their managers or, or decision yes. makers. Okay. In this particular process. So as you said, it's okay. You should definitely get somebody else on board with you. If you, if you convince somebody else to get into this like crusade with you, it's going to be much easier, right? Do you have any other tip uh, to, to convince people to, to use this method? I, 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 I would personally say, and you might disagree, to start very mm -hmm. small, to start with one other person uh, and just do it like not on your own, but you don't have to make a big deal out of it. It's just, it's yep. your job as, at the end of the day as marketer and then show the findings uh, and say, this is the type of stuff we can get if we get even deeper. So there are a couple of ways, um, that this can happen. Um, one of them is very similar to what you mentioned, which is just you and a colleague, um, do this on your own time. 
right? So don't make a big deal out of it. Don't say, okay, we're going to take this huge, this huge project on and it's going to disrupt everyone's work. Um, just get on the phone with even fewer people than we've discussed here, even two to three to five and, and go through these questions with them, record those calls, get them transcribed. And once you've done that, then share with, with your team, Hey, here's what we've learned about our customers that we did not know internally. Um, so there was a, actually, do you know the, the platform, um, meetup, they, it's, it's a platform where you can like find events that are happening in your yeah. city. So, um, there's, I don't believe they were on the marketing team. I believe they were on the product team, but someone within meetup was really interested in these interviews for product development as opposed to marketing. And this person just conducted a few jobs to be done interviews by himself. And then he held a short presentation over a lunch, a lunch hour with, with his team. And he called it why people fire meetup. Um, and in that presentation, he actually showed pictures of the people he interviewed and he, he used their quotes from the calls to say, these are the reasons people are leaving our product. What can we as a team do to fix it? And so he got this very emotional buy-in without, without first saying to everyone, Hey, we're going to adopt a new process. Um, and from there it grew, it, it grew because then people were invested. They, they understood the value um, without him having to convince them, he just showed them like, this is what I have learned in this very small project. So I totally agree with you there. That's a really, really good way to get started, um, without getting a hard no from your boss. <laughs> there, are, there are so many topics we can drain into, and I don't want to fall into a kind of a, a, a trap where we can get hole. out yeah. Yeah, rabbit hole. That's it. I was searching for this uh, term, um, <laughs> but you said a very important thing here is all about the emotion and the stories. So it's much easier. And I've said that in the podcast many times, but it's worth repeating. It's much easier to convince people using stories and, and individual mm -hmm. stories and emotions rather than spreadsheets. And oh my God. Yes. So like exactly as you said, once you have the findings, you do, do try to make them as, as personal as possible. Do tell a story and it's okay if you tell just one customer story, but if it's valuable, like it will, like it, people will remember that it will like it will strike with a them. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So step one, you, you kind of uh, make a customer profile of those power users, people who love your stuff. Step two, you contact them. Step three, you start talking to them and use some of the questions you use. You avoid using why you, you start with what. Another uh, good question I would ask is uh, what almost stopped you from buying from us? So not only do you identify the key benefits of uh, the key reasons why people bought from you, but you also identify the key objections that almost stop them from doing so, so that you can address them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then step four, you basically started to talk about it, right? You you transcribed the conversations. Always record and always transcribe. Um, because if you're just trying to take notes, you will miss those quotes. You will miss... If, if you're on a call with a customer, you shouldn't have to worry about taking notes. Um, so, oh yes, transcribe. And, um, this is very, very tactical and a small detail, but there's a service called rev.com, R E V, um, that does that they create transcripts, um, at like, I think a dollar a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's so worth it. Uh, they're always, they're very accurate and they come back within like 24 hours. Uh, so I, yeah, I agree. There's a good one. There's also a speechpad.com that does the same. Mm -hmm. Right, um, yeah. But yeah, don't be afraid to use those services because it will save you a lot of time and you can focus on the actual important thing. So right. 
you do get the transcript and then you make sense out of it. And then I suppose what you mentioned might be another step, which is try to make a story out of it, try to organize a presentation. But I like what you said with the example of Meetup. Don't make it like, try to, try to tease your managers in a sense. Try to, mm-hmm. to extract some sort of a, a good angle that you can use, such as why do people stop using our product or something like this, right? Right. And if for some reason, you know, you do have this, this, you know, you're, you're introducing it to your team and you're showing them, look how in, like, look what we're learning from customers. And they still, maybe you have a manager who's really, who loves spreadsheets I don't know, <laughs> um, or needs some kind of data to prove, yes, it's, it's worth you spending more time on this. Um, Intercom, their senior, their head of marketing, his name is Matt, Matt Hodges. He gave a great presentation of how Intercom used jobs to be done. Um, in their product development and their marketing together. Um, and he has in that presentation, a great slide. I, they went at the time that he came on board, um, they undertook the process of learning their customers jobs to be done. And then it was about 18 months, I think that they revised their marketing strategy and their, and their product. And they, because of, because of that effort, and of course they had a lot of people on board, but because of that effort, they went from like 35,000, you know, unique visitors a month on their, on their website up to, it was like five times that it was like 200 something thousand per month. Um, and what they saw was that the rate of signups was increasing at the same time. So clearly the marketing was sending the right message. It was attracting the right people. And so they were growing the product using this. So if you do have a boss who's looking for a case study of someone who's done this before, um, Matt's presentation that he gave, uh, showing the intercom case study is really, really helpful. What's, what strikes me about intercom example is that what we're discussing here seems obvious. And I know that listeners would say, well, duh, it almost seems like too obvious, right? But that's (laughs) the beauty of it is that you come back to the root of marketing. You come back to the root of understanding people and by using their own language and by segmenting, you know, your product or your service per jobs, it just speaks to people much, much better than just features or, or a list of, of, of benefits even. It, it's, it seems like it's something that, that goes beyond that and that works really well. That's actually uh, was uh, the question I wanted to ask after the steps we, we mentioned. Uh, examples. So Intercom is a very well-known example for having used this technique uh, and this mm-hmm. strategy even uh, very successfully. Did, did you come across any other SaaS companies or even outside of SaaS company who use this particular methodology? The, the place that I can think to find the, the greatest number of people using this methodology is in a book called, um, it's called When Coffee and Kale Compete. Uh, and the idea there is that someone, it's, it, it's explained in the book, but, but someone was struggling to like really start their day in a way that made them feel energized and ready to go. And they, they started with coffee and then they eventually switched to a kale smoothie. And you would never look at those as competitors, right? Like, um, but ultimately, they were both getting the same job done for this person, and so Kale won. Anyway, that's beside the point. But when Coffee and Kale Compete is written by um, a guy named Alan Clement, who is, is much more well-versed on, on jobs to be done than I am. He's been doing it much longer. Um, he's the same Alan who bought the drill. <laughs> um, it's the same guy. Uh, but he's written, he's written a very, very in-depth book about this, and he cites many, many people, both in the in the in the SaaS world and not in the SaaS world, who've used this. 
Um, this is more like, this is less about big companies and more about small software companies, but are you familiar with, um, Justin Jackson? He's, he's very much an internet marketer. <laughs> I, I interviewed uh, Justin. Oh, did you really? One of the episodes I, that's hilarious. Uh, was published in August, I think with Justin. It was just, an, okay. So I was, I was about to say, I, yeah, I'd done my homework, but, um, and I had, I had seen a couple of, of guests, but Okay, so Justin, hey. <laughs> But at the time, um, at the time we are recording this episode, Justin's right. episode hasn't been published yet, which is That's why. hilarious. Um, right. So, so Alan in this book actually cites he he talks about how Justin used jobs to be done to create a series of products that um, that help and you know an engineer, for example, someone someone who's a product person and and wants to get started creating and wants to get good at marketing, but the first struggle they encounter is I don't even know where to start. Um, and, and, and so Justin has a specific product that he has for that. And I, I won't butcher the name of all his products because he's got many. Now there's the community, there's, um, tiny marketing wins. There's a number of, there's several other ones, but if you, if you read when coffee and kale compete, he and Alan discuss this at length and, uh, they go into one product gets one job done. And then once that struggle has been solved, then this new product focused business person faces a new struggle, which is, okay, how do I actually do marketing? And then, then the next product solves that struggle. And as, and, and as they get better at what they're doing over time, Justin's products actually like grow with them and solve struggle after struggle, after struggle, after struggle. So he creates this long customer journey, um, where the same person is buying from him time and time again. Um, so that's a really great case study. And really, I'm pretty sure, yeah, yeah, When Coffee and Kale Compete is free. So you can download that. And, and Alan dives into a number of other companies that have done this. And it's really, really interesting. Aside from this book, what are the top uh, three resources you would recommend any digital marketer? It could be books, podcasts, blog articles, whatever you want. Okay, so let's see. So we've talked about the book. We've talked about Matt at Intercom and, and, the, and the presentation that he gives. Those two are really, really powerful. The presentation is much shorter than the book. And really, Intercom's blog talks quite a bit about jobs to be done as well. I would honestly just search like Intercom plus jobs to be done and see what they've written on it. As well as, I believe Alan, yeah, Alan also runs a blog called jtbd.info. Uh, and he actually invites people who use this methodology to write about it um, from the marketing perspective, from the product development perspective, from the perspective of growing a business. And that's really useful because you get a much more holistic view of, of how you can really use it. And it's many, many different people's writing. So you're learning lessons from, from all kinds of people as opposed to just one person over and over and over. So jtbd.info would be a, a, a good other place for that. Amazing. I think that's a great way to, to end this episode. Unless you have anything else to add outside of the question I asked you? Really, I think we've, we've discussed a lot. If we keep talking, I'll just keep rambling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's finish that. Let's, let's end uh, this episode. Yeah. Well, Claire, thank you so much once again for your time. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise, this is wonderful. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a one-to-one as -one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you 
my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always uns unsubscribe for sure if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet and we always... Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.